Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, hello folks, thank you for joining us uh, at the Royal Garden Hotel. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Wisdom Extra podcast in partnership with Betfair Exchange. Uh, I'm Phil Walker, Editor-in-Chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine, and I'm genuinely thrilled today to be joined by uh, the author and journalist and Wisdom Cricket Monthly Reviews Editor, John Hotton, and Robin Smith, one of the greatest England batsmen of his era, a Hampshire institution, an iconic figure to cricket fans of a certain age. And in the words of his mate, Mark Nicholas, a dashingly handsome player in every respect. Thank you for joining us, fellas. Very, very kind and uh, lovely to be here. Thank you, John, for joining us. Good to be here, yeah. Are you hot-footing it up from, from Hampshire way? From, from Hampshire, from Fleet, yeah, in north part of the county, the unfashionable part. So we, we have two Hampshire legends with us here today. Uh, we're recording the show at the Beer and 91 Cricket World Cup Lounge of the Royal Garden Hotel uh, in front of a live audience today. Uh, Hey, that's it. Let's hear from you. Thank you very much. I think we've got a few Australians in the house. Yeah. Okay. So, as well as bringing you a daily podcast through the World Cup, once a week we're bringing you a little bit extra, and this is that show uh, digesting all the action so far and uh, looking forward to a sprinkling of betting expert tips that we'll come to later in the show. Uh, we'll be hearing a little later from Ed Hawkins, betting.betfair's cricket correspondent, and Joe Harmon and I, of course, will be resuming our challenge to see if we can turn a profit ourselves, more likely a race to the bottom. So the here and now, though, the big news from today's game has seen De- Bangladesh take down West Indies in a vital clash at Taunton and take them down comfortably, winning by seven wickets with the best part of eight overs to spare. Uh, John Hotton, this has grave consequences for West Indies' hopes of breaking into that top four. And for Bangladesh, it gives them the kick that they need. Yeah, I mean, I think what you've seen is one side there today that has... That, that knows it absolutely has to maximise its resources. Uh, Bangladesh, we all know, have had a hard road to this point. Um, I think they all know their roles. They know exactly what they need to do as a team and they all need to play to their maximum capacity. This is the first decent total that's really been chased down in the World Cup. Yep. So it's the first time anyone's done that. I mean, Shakib 
what a cricketer that guy is. So back-to-back hundreds for Shakir. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and today's mm. chase exemplary. And mm. I think what it shows you is that the West Indies are almost the complete opposite. They've got great resources, but they're just not using them. And for the tournament as a whole, I think what it means is you kind of need to look at the teams that have got uh, players that are coming or are in their prime. And mm-hmm. I think if you look at West Indies as an example, they've got a couple of older guys, you know, who are legends, but they're, you know, they're beyond their prime. And they've got a load of young guys who are just, you know, this is their first real taste of the World Cup. And they've really got no one in that kind of sweet spot area. Bangladesh have got Shakib at least. And, you know, England have got a few. Australia have got a few. Australia's best players are very good. And I think that will be the, the trend going forwards is the teams that, that, you know, have got enough players who are coming into their peak um, for me. Yeah, okay. Uh, for our Australian listeners as well, uh, we're going to run through the table just briefly because we are getting to the business end of this tournament. Australia are top. Eight, eight points from five. New Zealand and India, seven from four games. England slipped in there behind them. Four, uh, four games played, six points. And it's Bangladesh who have made the move today. So Bangladesh are up to five uh, Sri Lanka 4, West Indies 3, Sri La- um, South Africa and Pakistan 3, and of course Afghanistan uh, rather bringing up the rear. Robin Smith, thank you for joining us. Um, you've seen a little bit of the World Cup, but you've been doing the, the book tour uh, of your, your, your piece, your, uh, the, the Judge, which is out, which we'll come to later on in the show. Um, from what you've seen, where is your money for, the, for this tournament, from what you've seen? Well, t- to be honest with you, this morning I said that uh, the Westerners would be in the uh, the top four. So it just shows that I don't know a huge amount what's going on in the <laughs> World Cup. But uh, I'll, I'll look, I, it, for me, um, the, the top two sides, I mean, Indi- uh, India are always going to be there. But uh, Australia, uh, th- they've got the experience. They've won four of the last five. They've been there. And that means so much when you have the confidence and you know how to perform under extreme pressure. Um, that will carry them through, um, you know, a lot of difficulty. England, um, they've never won the World Cup. You know they are undoubtedly the uh, the best uh, the best side uh, in this tournament. Uh, they've come in as favourites. They are ranked number one in the world. Um, but I just think the the pressure if they get to the semi final final the pressure to actually win the World Cup on their home soil um, I think just might get to them. But having watched them bat at the, uh, the other day at the Rose Bowl in Southampton, I mean they played with well they only needed four batters, but they played with such confidence, such freedom. Um, and those guys can seriously play. Okay, so I want to come to that game in particular. Joe Root made another hundred, sixteen hundreds now, four more than the next best England uh, ODI player. Uh, there's going to be plenty more by the time he's done. Uh, you saw him firsthand, and you've played with and against some many great cricketers. How good is this boy? Oh, look I, again. I don't watch a huge amount of cricket in uh, in, in Perth. I've uh, um, you know, I've got a, a job that takes uh, many hours during the week, so uh, I don't watch a lot of cricket. Um, I did arrive over here a week ago with the great expectation of uh, enjoying a wonderful st- uh, Indian summer here and it in, in England. And it's rained, so I haven't watched too much cricket. But um, but look, I um, I, I think um, you know th- these guys and, and Joe Root has probably got. Um, the the best technique that I've seen of of, of any player. And we, we of any player. About, 
I, I Mark Rampakash, I believed in, in my generation, was probably one, one of those that had a pretty much a perfect technique. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. he didn't quite perform um, at the interna international stage that he should have done. Um, Ian Bell, again, very, very good technique. Uh, John Crawley, too, in my day, also yeah. a good technique. But well, you mentioned but in, I think in your book, but, yeah. but, John, but, but I think Joe Root's in a different division. Um, you know, he, he, he doesn't go out there and, and blast his, uh, his, you know, his hundred and in uh, in 66 balls but you know he's there he, he plays his role within the team incredibly well he's the backbone of of the team and he's got those other players around him uh, Roy and Bairstow and those sort of guys uh, who are going to come and score their runs at more than run a ball but all Joe really needs to do is go and bat time bat through the innings and that's what he does and he's just perfect um, can I ask you Robin you mentioned earlier the um, difference between tournament cricket and, and just regular international one-day cricket, the knockout section specifically of tournament cricket. How different is it as a player when it's it's a straight knockout game as opposed to the sort of the endless one-day series that you would tend to play? Uh, uh, look, I mean, you know, for us, um, we, we've got a try and uh, uh, imagine it as just a normal game. Uh, we know that's very difficult. Um, uh, come semi-final, you've been, you know, you've been probably the best one-day side in two years in uh, in the world. Um, you've played beautifully, but you know, all of a sudden you get down to the top four. You might lose the toss. Overhead conditions. There might be a little bit in there, and you know, playing India and Bumrah comes in, and um, and the and the, the margin um, uh, between success and failure is uh, is half a centimeter. Um, you know, instead of playing missing at four early on, maybe England nick four and find themselves at 40 for four game over, tournament over for them. Um, we're hoping that's not the case, mm. but uh, you know, that, that's how... It's, you know, it's that's interesting that you, having been perhaps our finest player, in the, certainly in the early part of the 90s, you still retain a degree of that English pessimism that all fans have retained from the 90s because you because you're saying well you know maybe maybe uh, the pressure uh, might uh, get uh, us. you're speaking uh, like we've uh, all we've all no, been there no, we've all suffered no, with no, you. no that's just me as a person <laughs> okay. I um, yeah you read the book I've never been uh, you know even about my own game um, mm -hmm. you know I, I think more optimistically about England and uh, but but I always look at the uh, the other side of the coin as well yeah um, and and that's just uh, you know I've uh, never been the most confident person in the world um, but certainly from any point of view yeah definitely um, I, I feel confident I'm just looking at the other side of the coin here where if things do get tough they mm. lose, the, lose the toss you know anything can happen and you ask me whether they'd go on and, and win the World Cup yeah we all need a little bit of luck uh, sure. going through and winning the World Cup I think they will but I think they're going to have to uh, continue to play well. And just on the makeup of the England team, just briefly, Jason Roy is out certainly for the first, for the next two games, possibly for longer. Uh, James Vince comes into the equation. You would have been watching him pretty much every week down at Hampshire. Obviously, Robin, you'd have seen him come through the ranks, I imagine, as a young lad um, at Hampshire. Maybe your time didn't quite correspond, but obviously there's a huge story down at Hampshire. Is he coming in to open the batting, do you think? And can he do the job? Uh, well, I think undoubtedly he could do the job. I think he's got the one thing that all potentially great batsmen have, and that's time. Oh, certainly. And, and I would always go back to the innings he played at Brisbane in the last Ashes on the first morning. Yeah, the 83. And, yeah, and, and uh, Stark was roaring in, and Vince's first ball 
Stark absolutely nailed an in-swinging Yorker. And Vince, he honestly seemed to have all day to play. Is that when he got run out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he got my the 80 gosh, I know. First ball, he just dropped his wrists on it, and you would have thought it was a throwdown. And, and I thought, yeah, he's got that little thing that separates people mm-hmm. at the very top level. Whether he can go on and do it, you know, you mentioned Mark Rampakash. Mm. Rampakash certainly had that, you know, um, so he, you know, served several other players who haven't necessarily gone on. There's a theory knocking around today that Moeen might come in and open, okay. which is something he did in the last World Cup, and that would give them the extra spin option. I personally would go for Vince because I'm a huge fan of Vince, and I think his day will come. Um, you, you've made that quite clear <laughs> over the years. Okay, dare I ask about Australia? Uh, every time I ask an Australian journalist or observer, they tend to say, oh, well, we don't, we don't really have enough. We've got a few good players, but not enough. We're a bit inconsistent. And yet they keep churning out these results, don't they? In the old kind of footballing parlance, they're not playing especially well, but they're getting the result. They can go ahead and win this thing, right? As I said earlier on, definitely. I mean, you've got to peak at the right time during this tournament. Um, and uh, and those those guys individually, um, I think fantastic players. And as I said, they've uh, they, you know they they know what to do. They know how to win. Mm. Uh, they won four of the five last, and that uh, World Cups that carries a hell of a lot. You know that that they have that confidence. That they have that arrogance. They've they've been there. They've done it. They've won it. Um, England haven't, and that's the only little thing. But but no no England without doubt they're going to win now be more uh, okay yeah right, you're being uh, bullish yeah, now yeah. all right fine i'll take that john how do you see it uh, well i think uh, you know at risk of of playing to the australian audience here they, they yeah they obviously do know how to win and, and i think the thing about this australian team is their good players are really good yeah uh, i think anyone can sit down on paper and go yeah they're unbalanced they're probably short of one power hitter which is slightly odd given if you watch the big bash they've got you know five or six young mm-hmm. guys here who are really incredibly powerful players and yet they've come over and they've got Kawaja in the middle order and they've you know they've got uh, well Nathan Coutinho went yeah, in and, and played yeah, 1962 uh, yeah. and saved uh, Australia from the yeah, fir- early game so oh look I think Australia have got uh, the whole the whole package I think all round I think they've got uh, yeah. you know Ma- Maxwell batting there and they've well, got Maxwell, yeah, I mean, uh, they've got depth. I mean, even uh, uh, Mitchell Stark. I know that uh, uh, when uh, Michael Holding was uh, commentating the other night, and somebody said Mitchell Stark could bat, Michael said, "I beg your pardon." <laughs> um, now I think you know M- Mitchell Stark can come in and quite comfortably get that smack twenty-five and, and fifteen balls for sure. He can. I mean, Maxwell's an odd one, isn't he? Because I think to the rest of the world, Maxwell's one thing, and to Australia, he's something else. He's almost mm. they almost seem like this kind of stunt player, and they're not quite sure what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Whereas it, actually, he can do everything. I mean, he's unbelievable fielder mm. he'll bowl you several good uh, good overs and yeah as you say he can he can bat the lights out oh, if it's his day yeah. fabulous uh, we'll come to your own career in a moment robin and specifically playing against australia uh, well, that won't take very long so <laughs> that's fine john your overall impressions of the tournament um and the the relevance of the tournament in the the national conversation how have you seen it play out over the last few weeks yeah, I mean, that's increasingly becoming a conversation, isn't it? How visible is the tournament? If you read the papers, you'll see a lot of articles about, well, you know, my, I've just spoken to a five-year-old kid in the street and he's got no idea it's going on. I mean, you have to contrast that with the fact 99% of the games 
or 99% of the tickets have been sold. And, I mean, did you, did you see India and Pakistan yesterday? I was if there. You're, if you're looking for an audience within the UK that's untapped, well, it was sitting in that ground yesterday. Yeah. Where are those guys in domestic cricket? If you can answer that question, I think you, the 100 and everything else, all of these things we endlessly beat ourselves up about fall into place. I think the television argument is something completely different. It's not a problem that football has. And I think as a general rule, you won't find a single you know, terrestrial old school broadcaster who wants to put a five day test match on television. Mm -hmm. It won't happen. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a pointless argument. And just on the final itself, if England were to get there, it has to be available for everybody to see. Oh, it has to be. As well, a one-off. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was a bit like the, the uh, European Championship football, wasn't it? Liverpool yeah. and... Uh, who did they and play? Spurs, Spurs, yeah. Spurs, <laughs> Spurs won 3-2. It was a great, so, great yeah. night. Um, but, uh, you know, BT, who are, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, a sort of pretty obscure you know, uh, cable broadcaster were duty-bound to somehow get that onto YouTube platforms and yep. online and so on, so everyone could see this game. It would be a travesty if England were to get to the... Well, if anybody were to get to the final, but if England specifically were to get to the final and it's unavailable for UK watchers, that would be a shocker. Um, Robin, does this argument, does this kind of anxiety that people have about the game's popularity now, does it ring any bells from when you were playing? Um, no, well, not really. I mean, we, we at the time, um, you know, 2020 cricket wasn't wasn't really induced. In fact, uh, I uh, played the very first 2020 cricket match uh, between uh, Middlesex and uh, and Hampshire. And I was In 2003? So yeah. That was your final year? Yeah, and I, was, and, I was, and I was 40 and I went... Uh, this is definitely not my game. <laughs> <laughs> it would have um, been, but, though. But it would have been your game, right, I at one point? Had I, had I learned to, to play that sort of cricket um, at uh, 15, 16, 17, I guess I probably would have enjoyed it. I mean, I think it's fantastic for uh, for everyone to watch. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. You see these, these incredible shots that they seem to be playing these days. I mean, it's just unbelievable. We wouldn't even have dreamt about playing these yeah. shots. Um, so, look, it's, uh, it's, it's great for the kids, the interest of the, in, in the game. Um, but for for me, uh, you know, we've got to really still uh, continue to work hard on the uh, the fundamentals of the game. Don't get too carried away of trying too early on in your career when you're for 14, 15, 16, learning to play um, 20, 20 cricket. Because, you know, you'll never then be able to adapt to 50 over cricket and certainly never be able to play first class cricket or test match cricket. So you for me, it's always important to uh, to to work out the importance of uh, your technique early on, um, look to play first-class cricket, look to play test match cricket, look to have that technique, yep. and then I think it's very much easier to be able to adapt to the shorter form of the game. You're, you're coaching a lot now back in Australia. Um, this is obviously a mantra that you'll be drilling into your, you know, your students and, and your charges and so on. But and I don't want to be too boring as a coach saying, no, I don't want to be No, but, but it's, it's, it but is I fun. Do I mean, I do encourage because it's fun, isn't it? I sure. Mean, what you've got to do with young kids, you've got to make sure that they come in and they enjoy their cricket session. So, but so what, what, one of the marks of the World Cup has been that technique has still won through. Yes. With bat and ball. It hasn't just been... Particularly this World Cup, I think. Yeah. We've actually seen some very, very good, technically some great innings in this World Cup. It's not been the big uh, 2020 bash, which in fact it's not. I mean, 2020 cricket is very, very different to the 50... Indeed, uh, yeah. ...of, of, of uh, form of the game. So it's a completely different game once again. But, you know, you, you see that over the years, you watch a lot of good 2020 players, and, and they are generally the best test match players as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. We are talking to someone here who made 167 not out, I think, in 1993 in a 50-over game against Australia. So yeah. I think you might have made quite a lot of money if, if you played played 20-over cricket in the oh. IPL. Um, okay, I want to talk about the book itself. Um, we have it here. Robin Smith, the judge, it's called, which everyone will know is his, is his nickname. Um, what compelled you to write it, Robin? Um, look, I, I was uh, very privileged to have been asked uh, when uh, when I'd just finished my... Uh, um, well, I'd just been dropped from England at 32 by Jack Bannister, um, obviously a revered writer in, uh, uh, here in, in, in England. And uh, I didn't feel that I had a good enough story at the time. I turned it down. I didn't believe that uh, I was good enough to write a book. And, and really, at the end of the day, I think uh, um, an autobiography really should be about your life. Um, I don't quite believe that you've lived your life at, at, at 32. Um, so we, after I'd finished playing uh, playing cricket, um, I'd, I'd uh, started to have a lot of problems with uh, anxiety, uh, a lot of problems with uh, you know feeling quite depressed over a long period of time. Um, and then having read uh, Graham Fowler's book, Marcus Treskrothic's book, studied it, read it, it really gave me the inspiration to uh, to and the driving force to be uh, and the confidence to be able to bear my my soul my story uh, and uh, you know and and uh, and be confident enough to uh, to bear my story to the cricketing public as well because I thought if they were if they were you know wrote their story sure. uh, which which helped me a lot then I felt that uh, that maybe I could do the same. Triscothic's book. Broke, d- knocked down a lot of doors, didn't it? It enabled cricketers who would have obviously been spawned from traditionally masculine, buttoned up, emotionally tense kind of places, dressing rooms where men were men and they didn't speak about their problems. Well, Marcus, with his book, which came out 10 years ago now, I think, changed the face of of, of the cricketing biography and it and it enabled the likes of Graham Fowler and Jonathan Trott as well, and, yeah. and now yourself and, too. And, and just to endorse that, absolutely. Yeah. And I totally agree with uh, you know with the guys because you know we we just perceived you know we're out there you know maybe six foot, fifteen stone you know and uh, you know this uh, this this mentally strong bloke walking out to bat and taking on the West Indies and you know and uh, what what do you see out there is not always you know what uh, what what what's deep down in the soul. Um, and uh, and it's, it's very hard to, uh, you know, to at, at times be um, that confident person when you've got all these negative gremlins um, fighting away in, 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 your, in your mind. It's, uh, it's, it's very difficult. You described it as cathartic to me downstairs when, when we had a quick chat. Um, is that how you, how you see it? Yeah, look, I, I, was, I, was, I was very... Uh, it, it took me two, three years to uh, decide um, that, that I would write the book. Um, I have my beautiful uh, fiance, which I uh, I got uh, engaged to uh, four days ago. I got Congratulations! Down, I got, down on my, got down on my bad knee there. It's fabulous! It took, there we go. It, it, it took me uh, it, t- it took me seven minutes to get back up. And had, <laughs> I reckon had she said no, then I'd still be bloody down there on my right knee. But uh, but anyway, uh, 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 Karen was a uh, a, g- a great um, support. She she said no. Look, I think you've got a a good enough story. She said. Uh, that you know, go out there and and uh, and and uh, bear, bear your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because there'll be a lot of people out there, not just in sport, but maybe just in all walks of life, yeah. that may be able to learn a little something. In, in, in my opinion, it's a, it's a book of learnings. Mm -hmm. And uh, whoever reads the book, you might just take a little paragraph here or a line there that just might help you if you feel that you're moving into... The, the darkness area that, that, that I, got, I found myself in after, after a period of time. I read it all today. Uh, I started about half ten in the morning and I read it in, in one sitting. Finished and you didn't fall asleep? You didn't fall asleep? No, I didn't. Oh, it was, it was genuinely gripping, very moving as well in parts. And also very thrilling as well. And uh, the, the, the middle section of the book is, is concerned with the, the, kind of the, the, the chaotic years of playing, playing for England, playing for Hampshire, in that kind of golden age of sorts of English cricket where we we didn't deliver necessarily as well on the pitch as we would have hoped but these characters are indelible now you know they are they are embedded in all of us John Hon I want to come to you because you've read the book as well and yep. there are a lot of things that struck you about that particular era there are yeah I mean I think um, if you pick the book up in the bookshop which you obviously should do you have to and, and, and you have a little look at the back you'll get a sense of what kind of a man Robin is and was regarded as within the game, within Hampshire and within England. I mean, the probably the most singularly popular and loved cricketer I in the country at that time. I mean, uh, a, s a sort of small personal anecdote, the first time I ever saw Robin play was actually for Ickenham when... Uh, yeah, which was, uh, um, but by chance, I, uh, I played for Basingstoke at the time. Uh, right. They were in the same league, I think. I wasn't quite as many teams up the, up the rung as Robin was. We, our game was cancelled. And someone said, look, you've got to come down and see the first team were playing, Basingstoke were playing Ickenham, at Ickenham. Our game was cancelled. You've got to come down and see this kid play. You, you know, you've got to see it. We went down there and I think you got about, you got about 60, something like that. But that was the first time I saw him play. And every, everyone from that point was, this guy's 17, he's going to come through. And I think Robin began to span this era of English cricket that was fading out, which was uh, Botham and... Lammy. Know, Lammy, Gower, who became sort of great, great friends and sparring partners of yours. And you were also still playing, you know, when Athers was captain and, you know, that generation of 90s players. You mentioned, you know, that test in 93, which marked the debut of Rampakash and Hick in the same game, mm. uh, Headingley against West Indies. So you kind of spanned those two eras. And I think that gives this book a unique voice. It also gives it a very amusing voice. I noted to Phil earlier two kind of amazing things about Robin. One was that you've been best man five times to people um, which is a, I mean as Phil said to me I haven't even got five mates <laughs> you, you've been chosen by five. Well, uh, and, and the other thing was that you know well, the, the only reason was, was uh, that no one else wanted to be their best man so uh, <laughs> See, uh, the last resort this is, this is the model and the other thing there's a great story uh, of, of many in the book of you going to a test hundred where Malcolm Marshall, obviously your teammate at Hampshire, but your opponent at West Indies, and Malcolm used to delight in knocking over his teammates and friends, but gave you a half volley on your legs to go to 100. Well, he did. I was on, uh, I was on 98, and uh, I was at the uh, non-strikers end, and he said, uh, judgy man. He said, next ball, leg stump, half volley, get your 100. <laughs> and uh, so I faced, and I thought it was going to be a double bluff, but yeah, I got down bounce there, and, and he took, uh, took mid-wicket and put mid-wicket, uh, to uh, uh, to gully second gully and there's only mid on and fine leg and I thought no he's going to get one swinging well I'm going to play across the line get caught second gully anyway it was this 
70 mile an hour gentle leg stump half volley which i just nudged off the pads got my two runs to get my hundred and um that was the end of the over and uh, my hero viv richards walked past and said well played man <laughs> he said i liked the little bonus you had for the last the two runs so he knew even <laughs> he knew, as the captain yeah. he knew but um, I mean, people wouldn't think that about that west indies team that it yeah. was because they were so ferocious that, you, that they did they did respect the the guys that stood up to them yeah mind you malcolm did get me out lbw for 109 <laughs> so yeah right so half I, didn't an hour get, later. I didn't get too many more runs. and you probably <laughs> never heard the end of it either. Uh, yes and that series robin um one of my earliest cricket memories as it goes actually and you made 200s in that series you made the famous 148 at lords uh which richie richie benno still says is one of the one of the best innings he's seen um at the end of that series correct me if i'm wrong i think you were ranked number two in the world in test test bats batsmanship after gooch i yes. think yeah. yeah um did you ever feel like the second best player in the world did that kind of level of achievement and scrutiny sit comfortably on your shoulders um it, it certainly didn't sit comfortably with me i not for once did i believe that uh, i was the second best batsman in the world because they did have those rankings and then i saw viv richards 13 alan border nine i went no man i can't be as good <laughs> as these blokes but um but for, fortunately i've never i've never really um had that uh, that that confidence that uh, uh, in my own ability and and when um <coughs> after the first uh, uh, year or so of my uh, test test match career we, we started then getting uh, um up on the uh, screen as you walked in mm. you'd look at your test rating number two you know number of tests played your your test average and i always used to walk out and i'll having to read that um over and over to just to satisfy in my mind that i was actually good enough to be out there in the middle playing test match cricket and that's that's was just me and that's how i i, I never had that confidence and and uh, i guess that's the way i've always been but you had the probably one of the most famous walkouts in in test cricket didn't you you used <laughs> to come out and do the you used to open your eyes really wide i always remember that yeah and then you used to bend down and do you were one of the first guys to do all the I used to copy that. <laughs> I, I did. I mean, it was just to, to try and you know get the, that excess adrenaline out the body and uh, and and loosen up uh, the limbs a little bit. But uh, it, I was just incredibly nervous, and I just felt that uh, by doing that, just loosen up the body a little bit and uh, and relax me a bit as well. You, you touch on the book a number of times about the kind of the, the duality. Um, of many people, but but of yourself specifically, the the, the judge as this kind of cocksure, chest out uh, winner, and Robin Arnold Smith as as you describe a man you know with certain insecurities and self consciousness and so on. That's a story that exists throughout sport, isn't it? Increasingly yeah. evident as well. V very much, very much so. There would be, um, you know, again, we're always perceived. All this, all these sportsmen, um, you know, from afar, you know, we're perceived to be the you know, these strong characters, you know. But all of us have got uh, fragilities in, in life, you know. Um, you know, there there are a few quite unique, I think, who really do believe in themselves. They really do believe that they uh, are the best in the world. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons why they are the best in the world. Yeah. You know, Coley or... or uh, well, your, your brother was an interesting... Your brother, Chris, and you make the point several times throughout the book, he's lived his life by this credo of positive thinking. 
yeah. and always actually returns to a specific book whenever he's not feeling yeah. confident about life. Norman, Norman, Norman Vincent Peale is the other uh, book, but uh, yeah, Chris is, and, and I make reference uh, a lot in the book as well. It's um, you know very difficult uh, to compare generations, as we might have spoken a little bit earlier on, but when. Um, uh, when Gordon and my brother batted together for seven or eight or nine, ten years at Hampshire um, against the same bowling attack, same pitches, and for Gordon to be arguably one of the greatest batsmen, opening batsmen of all time, and as my brother um, s suggests that he's just a journeyman, <laughs> how, how my brother, through strength of mind yeah. um, and, and hard work and commitment, how he could have a better record than Gordon Greenwich. And I know that Gordon um, always, you know, practiced very hard. Um, you know, he took batting for Hampshire as seriously as he did for the West Indies mm -hmm. because I batted number four and I could see him come in and throw his bat down when he got out. So I knew he was very passionate. So for my brother, who couldn't lace his boots, to be able to have a better record in one-day cricket and first-class cricket than Gordon just shows, and again, we, we, we speak in the book about the power of the mind as well, yeah. which is a super... I, I can't resist asking you about Shane Warne. If we're talking about cricket... I do have to spoil my knife. Yeah, all right, fair enough. No, I do understand that. But you, you brought him to Hampshire. Yes, I did, I did. I mean, Warne is, uh, you know, love him or hate him. I mean, I think he's, uh, I think he's a great bloke. I mean, he's, uh, I don't particularly enjoy his uh, little tweets and have a look at this little pictures of him every <laughs> now and again but it takes all um, right? yeah but uh, but warney if you get to know warney as uh, as as a as a friend i mean he really is a, a very genuine sincere bloke um and uh, but as a cricketer uh, coming in uh, in the early 90s he really he really changed world cricket because it was in those days dominated by fast bowling and then you had this little uh, st Kilda beach bum coming in and just rolling his arm over and just setting the world alight mm. um, and so for me I, I, I struggled and one of the reasons I think why Warney was so successful is that he was so accurate as a leg spinner um, as a wrist spinner it's very very difficult to to be able to get that accuracy as Warney did and he never let you know he never bowled a bad ball or very few bad balls um, and uh, he was a pretty decent sledger as well at the time getting under I, your skill I, I, rem I remember the old Trafford game the game where he bowled the so-called ball of the century to Gatting, he bowled something very similar to you in the very in the same session, right? So you just happened to get an edge to it. So Gatting missed. So, so did R Richie Benno said exactly the same he? thing. He said uh, there was a very similar ball to uh, what Gat. But but Gat is a wonderful player of spin bowling, sure. and he doesn't. You know, he plays the ball very late, whereas I go forward and and go and push at the ball, and that's why you know I nicked it and, and Taylor caught me at first slip. But uh, you were famous for. Uh, not just facing the quicks brilliantly, but also proclaiming that you quite enjoyed facing the quicks. Was that true? Is it possible to enjoy facing Marshall, Croft, Wackar, Wazim, Bishop, Patterson, all the rest? Is it is uh, it really possible? Oh, uh, look, look, uh, I I I think it is, and and I did. And there's there's a couple of reasons. Even at the back of the book, I haven't got my reading glasses on, but even Angus Fraser said something at the back of the book said uh, that. You know, out of all the cricketers here, you could maybe read yeah, the, the <laughs> quote. The exact quote is: "There have been many players who've suggested they'd rather face 90 mile per hour throat balls than gentle leg breaks, but Robin Smith is the only one I truly believe." <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I, I far prefer to face quick bowling than than Shane Warne or Muriel Lathrin or right. any spinner. Um, look, I think I was very lucky, very privileged, being brought up in South Africa. Um, we were uh, at the time isolated from uh, international sports, so um, 
Uh, so the cricket that we played, all the great players that unfortunately never had the opportunity of playing international cricket, um, that was our um, the pinnacle. Playing Curry Cup cricket uh, was was a was a tough competition, fought hard, um, and we only had three spinners in uh, mm. in South Africa at the time. There was Alan Curry that didn't really spin the ball, and uh, Dennis Hobson. Um, so really, from a very very early age, I was exposed only to fast bowling. Mm. Um, Dad uh, bought the house next door to us, knocked it down, built a, a cricket pitch, um, which was concrete and uh, Ozart, which is um, you know, which is a, a little bit like the AstroTurf now, yep. but but a little bit a bit thinner. And grass. you play every day. And uh, and he just he just got he, we uh, he imported the very first bowling machine into South Africa, and he had this uh, great delight in just turning up the bowling machine to 80 miles an hour and 85 when I was only 15, 16, it'd be whizzing past my nose. So so yeah, I mean. There was an uh, element yes. that so is in your character. You talk yeah. about this in the book. Yes. Um, so from an early, uh, sorry to interrupt. So from an early age, talking about quick bowling, um, I was exposed to it. I learned how to play quick bowling very, very early on, um, and that's why probably you know I played it reasonably well. Yeah, well, you certainly did. There's also a great some great anecdotes about your early life in South Africa, about Barry Richards and Mike Proctor coming round to the back garden. Yeah. And practicing in there with you as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my, my uh, two early early heroes there. Some <laughs> good ones there. Yeah, <laughs> you can't get too much better than uh, Barry Richards and Mike Proctor coming around. Uh, they only lived uh, a kilometre down the road anyway. So when uh, when the Rebel Tours were uh, arriving in the sort of mid-80s to uh, uh, um, to South of the Australians, the Westernese, uh, the England guys, so they came around and practised on uh, f uh, our facility. I was, at, I was at school most of the time, but when I came back from school, they were there practicing, and There's it was just Barry fantastic. Barry in my back, back garden practicing. It was great, <laughs> great to watch. If you could pick one innings, then, from your time that you're most proud of, is that possible to do? Is there one that sticks in the mind over and above any others? Um, look, f look, for me, playing, playing for Hampshire meant everything for me. Um, so it, you know, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I love playing for England. I love the innings that I uh, enjoy batting, uh, batting for England. But, but for me, the love that I had for uh, for my teammates, Hampshire teammates, for the the members, the supporters, to have gone up and have played really well in those three one day uh, one day finals that we got to yep. eventually got to uh, finals at Laws and to have played well and to have got those man of the matches. Um, for me, those would stick out because. Um, although it was just for Hampshire, not for England, but Hampshire meant everything to me. John, um, were, you at that, were you at those games? Yeah, yeah well, no, I mean, it, I, I think it's an era of county cricket that has maybe passed in the way you lived and the way you played. But it's a, a, a time romanticises things, doesn't it? And, and it's true. I mean, it's like a golden era of, of cricket. If you, if you just imagine the overseas players you played with at Hampshire and these guys they, they weren't flown in for a couple of 2020 games it's happened now they turned up in April and they went home in September and you're talking about Gordon Greenwich Malcolm Marshall Barry Richards yeah, yeah on and on through Hampshire's yeah. history to Shane Warne even, well. even Andy Roberts was Andy uh, Roberts of course Andy the first Andy's one the first yeah. one yeah uh, I just want to ask you finally Robin is your is your love for the game as strong as it ever was? Uh, you say you're, you're coaching now a lot, of bringing a lot of young uh, girls and boys through. Is that kind of rekindled your love of the game in some respects? It, it, it has. I, I did fall out of love of the game. Um, and Which does um, happen, doesn't it? it well, y yeah, it, it does. And, uh, and once again, I, I, I must... 
acknowledge uh, Karen for this because Karen was the one... The true hero uh, of the book, yeah. right. Who, who yeah. says that she didn't know anything yeah. about cricket or... No, she or who you were. Were. didn't know who I was, which is... Yeah. How refreshing is that when you can meet somebody that yeah. doesn't know who you are and you can speak openly to them and they don't judge you because they don't they don't know who you no are. No preconceptions. Oh, it's, which is just fantastic. The only person that she knew was Shane Warne. Right, of course. I was rather hoping she said, well, I'd, I've met, I've heard some like Robin Smith and I would have gone, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's me. That's me. But uh, no, she didn't know anyone. And uh, and again, very refreshing to know that you could uh, start a fresh book, you know, going out there, meeting somebody who we, we became friends for six, six nine months or a year. Um, and uh, we're lovely friends. And, and she was a, a wonderful support. And, and after two, three years, when I started to gather a little bit more confidence, Karen was the one that, a again, suggested that, uh, well, why don't you take up a little bit of coaching again? Yep. You love your cricket. You're starting to watch a little bit more cricket. Why don't you go and, you know, do a little bit of coaching? So I um, at uh, a lo I put my name down at uh, a local uh, um, indoor cricket school. And, uh, you know, now I've got some absolutely wonderful young kids who uh, a couple want to play for England, a few want to play for Australia. <laughs> uh, one wants to play for India. Um, but uh, but I do enjoy it. I mean, I get a, a huge thrill and uh, I get excited about my coaching. Um, I get enthusiastic about it and, and, and very passionate um, about seeing these guys improve and, and coming along and, and starting to do well, uh, whether or not, you know, they play at uh, the under 14 C's and, and, mm -hmm. and, and their ambitions to get to under 15 A. I mean, that's a, and I think I take, I get more excited about the coaching uh, and you know, than, than, than possibly they do, but no, I certainly if, uh, love my cricket, love watching the game now, and uh, and certainly enjoy my coaching. Uh, it's called The Judge. It's written by Robin Smith uh, with Rob Smythe, who's ghosted it. Who's an excellent uh, top of his game ghostwriter. Uh, it's available now. Please go out and buy it. It's a truly brilliant piece of work, uh, and I read it all in one sitting today, as I say. And uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd again, uh, I'd, I'd like to mention uh, Rob Smythe. I think uh, that he was the ideal um, writer to write my my story. Mm -hmm. um, huge empathy. Yeah. Uh, very thoughtful. Very sensitive bloke, and somehow we just managed to connect quite nicely and. Uh, and when I read the book, obviously Karen had a big influence in the book as well, but when I read the book, I'm actually quite happy with what I read. It's a very genuine and honest story about my life, and um, I made sure that my son and daughter read it yep. before I published it to make sure that they were happy, which is important for me. And they said, Dad, well, if that's your life, you've got to, you've got to write a true story about your life. And... You know, I've left no stone unturned, and that is. You can the say uh, that again. <laughs> uh, okay. Over the course of the tournament, we'll be hearing from Betfair's betting experts. who will be giving us a helping hand and telling us where the smart money lies. Earlier, I caught up with betting Betfair's cricket correspondent Ed Hawkins to find out what he's got his eye on for the next few games in this World Cup. Okay, then, Ed, what have you got for us for the next few days? New Zealand South Africa is a game we've had penciled in for a while. We're very keen on New Zealand in the tournament. You know, they're going to go our favourites here, but I think South Africa have got major problems. You know, they've got that one win under their belt against Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got good batting. Their bowling is absolutely exceptional. So exceptional that Trent Bolt isn't actually the danger man anymore. Lockie Ferguson coming to the fore. Matt Henry as well is an absolute uh, gold star uh, winner when it comes to value on the top um, 
top New Zealand bowler market down the last few years. A real, he's been a real uh, value for people who do their stats work. Um, so we just think New Zealand are going to be uh, far, far too strong for a South Africa side who are low on confidence, low on fit players, and just a, a right for the taking against a very, very strong Kiwi team. Yeah, okay, I think there's a lot of betting, sense in that. Betting New Zealand on the match odds is, 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 is sound as a pound. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else? Well, I think we'll still um, keep faith with Ross Taylor mm. uh, to be top New Zealand run scorer. He should be favourite on the market statistically on two-year form. One of the best batsmen in the world. His, um, his form is absolutely terrific. He's already won us a bet uh, on this podcast, this World Cup. Indeed, and yeah. He's going to be going off yeah, he's going to be going off around four to one, and we know he should be favourite. Um, he's got a better record in terms of winning this market uh, than the likes of Kane Williamson, who is always going to be popular. Mm-hmm. He's got a better record than Martin Guptill, uh, who's going to be the favourite. Um, so we're very happy to be on Taylor, particularly as there's just a bit of nip uh, and pace in that batting lineup to, to get Taylor in nice and early. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes in at number four, so Taylor is very, very solid. You can't go wrong. Yeah, he's running at 4-1 to one on the sports book for that one. OK, and one more for us? Well, looking ahead to England-Sri Lanka, you know, it's another, it's another unfortunate bit of a mismatch. Um, they're coming a bit thick and fast during this World Cup at the moment, and we're pretty sure who the, who the best four teams are in this World Cup. <laughs> and that's a couple of weeks, haven't we, unfortunately? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't expect Sri Lanka to cause England any issues here. Um, uh, and that makes it difficult for punters because we're desperately searching around for value um, on top England run scorer markets or top England bowler markets mm-hmm. and make a case for Ben Stokes because he's going to be too big in the market but what I worry is whether he's going to actually get enough time at the crease but mm-hmm. if you can get if you can get sort of upwards of um, sort of 11 to 2 maybe 6 to 1 Stokes for the top pass against Sri Lanka we, we got eight right at the start of the tournament mm-hmm. and he won in that game against South Africa he is statistically he is the only England batsman who is actually value in terms of winning that market we're not yep. saying the other other guys like Root and um, Roy and Bairstow are, are poor players they're just poor prices mm-hmm. it's all about how often they win this market and Stokes is the only guy could say is a wrong price and that's what Pet is all about can we find that wrong price and Stokes is just a little bit wrong okay and just finally on, on James Vince do you expect him to come into the side and, and would there be much value in looking at him considering he'll be fresh but he will be up the top presumably yeah he'll be fresh um, I mean in terms of data we don't have a huge amount of data to go on um, because his ODI career is, is fledgling so mm. um, obviously he's a, he's, a, he's a quality player you know some of us some of his cover drives are like honey falling from a spoon, aren't they? So, you know, aesthetically, in terms of, of a bet, you know, if, if, if you've back, backed Vince uh, and he's going well, that's that's a, a, a wonderful situation to be in as a punter because there are a few, few batsmen in the world who look as good as, as he does at the crease. He's going to be opening the batting, presumably, uh, with Roy ruled out again. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's tricky to make a case for non-price. I, I did see a couple of players go around 5-1 to one, uh, for him top run score in the game against Af- Afghanistan. Um, and that, that was a pure mistake by bookmakers. I just don't think they were up to speed where, yeah. where England's batting was going. Indeed. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a mug bet, let's say. Let's say that if you back Vince, you know, he's going he's gonna to look good for, you know, 30 or 40 
it can go on. Okay, just finally, uh, having seen the best part of three weeks of cricket now and, and a fair amount of rain, it's fair to say, uh, who's your overall pick for the tournament uh, based on what you've seen so far? Well, I just can't um, really see past India or England. Still those big two. England are essentially, England are essentially in the semi-final um, because the group, has, group stage has been so disappointing, so uncompetitive. Um, India in, in the same boat. Uh, and it's just a question of whether those two slip up now and uh, see where they finish in that top four. Otherwise, um, you can see them meeting in the final. Look, I've been, I've been very strong on um, going against England um, for, for a number of months, purely on price, because I just don't want to be backing them at odds of around two to one to win a World Cup. Sure. Um, but having said that, that, they're very likely to get to a final. But if they do get to a final, I think they're going to have to beat a much stronger India team all round with bat and ball India for me the best team in the tournament but hey England could chase 400 to win the final that would that's be how nice. good they are with the that would be yeah. fun so that's that's where I'm at alright Ed Hawkins thank you ever so much uh, we'll be hoping to hear from you again later on in the tournament thanks a lot Okay, and now uh, it's the return of the Phil V. Joe Challenge. I know you're all on the edges of your seats with this one. Armed with a £100, kindly donated by Betfair over the course of the World Cup, Joe and I will be going head-to-head with all proceeds on the off chance there are any going to chance to shine the charity, putting cricket back into state schools. I caught up with Joe a little bit earlier today. Okay, then I'm with Joe Harmon, and uh, this is that point of the show where Joe and I uh, go up against one another for the chance to build on uh, £100, kindly donated by Betfair Exchange. Um, Joe and I will be betting over the course of the World Cup with all proceeds. Uh, Any possible winnings going, of course, to Chance to Shine, uh, the charity that's helping cricket uh, back into state schools. All right, Joe, um, first of all, what bets have you still got running live that you put on at the start of the tournament? So we put on three, didn't we, at the start? So I had, well, I had Jason Roy to be tournament leading run scorer, which was looking great uh, after that big 100 against Bangladesh. Then obviously he got injured in the game against West Indies. Then we've just had the news that he won't play against Afghanistan uh, or against Sri Lanka. So even if he does come back into the tournament, which I guess is, is, is doubtful to a point. Has to be, doesn't he's it? Missed some, yeah, I think it has to be. But he, he, even if he does, he's missing two games where you'd have hoped for him to score quite a lot of runs. So that, that one's looking doomed, <laughs> I would suggest. Um, yeah, it's terribly bad luck, isn't it? Um, not just for yourself, of course, with your £5 bet, but you, you, this is a big blow for England. Um, do you think that they'll keep him in the squad? It, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? It's a good two games for them to have uh, these next two. They don't have to make a call. Uh, you'd expect them to win them relatively comfortably based on form. Uh, if he's still not fit after these two, then they do have a really tricky decision to make. Mm. I think as it stands, if, I think a lot depends on Morgan's back as well. If that, if that is a genuine ongoing concern, then it, you can't have two potentially injured batsmen in your squad. Mm-hmm. If Morgan's was a one-off that he's got through, then I think they'll probably just stick with Roy as a kind of injured player in the squad to bring back in, as India have done with Dewan. It is still three weeks till those semi-finals, of course, so there'd be a decent chance for him to recover. But when you hear hamstring tear, that is quite alarming. Anyway, we're going to have to leave that alone. Yeah. Um, Pat Cummins' top wickets, is that right? Yeah, so he's on 11, two behind the joint leaders, Mitch Stark and Mo Amir. So that's that's looking pretty promising. Yeah. Uh, and then the third one was Sri Lanka to be bottom, come get the wooden spoon. I think it's hard to see anyone but Afghanistan getting that the way things are going. Yeah, OK. So coming still still uh, running for you, but Roy and Sri Lanka probably falling away. OK, so last week's bets, how did you get on? So I had Lockie Ferguson to be leading New Zealand wicket taker for India. That was a washout. So yep. no, no win, no loss. 
I had Kushan Pereira to be Sri Lanka's leading run scorer of the Australia. Now he got 52, batted really nicely. Second top scorer. Didn't account for Karuna Ratner getting 90-odd. And the third one was Shimmer and Hetmeyer to be West Indies' leading run scorer of the England. And again, he was the second top scorer behind Poran. Uh, so I'm feeling a little bit little bit hard done by. A little um, bit sore, yeah. I it, am a little bit, yeah. Pereira in particular was batting out of his boots, of course, on Saturday at the Oval. Um, and then just kind of missed a straight one, didn't he? Um, is that was that right when Stark came back on and he just just played all around one? But he was he was looking like he was going to make a definitive innings there. Well, he is, and he's batted quite nicely throughout this tournament, whereas no one else has looked in any kind of nick. So I kind of I expected him to get about what he got. I just didn't expect anyone to get more than he did. So that was a little little unfortunate. Although made for a better match. And and you went on poor and the week before, and you went on Hetmeyer the last game, and yeah. they kind of swapped positions in effect. Yeah, yeah. Whatever oh, well. I do is just not quite, not quite working. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just briefly then, my my bets from last week. I'm convinced that Johnny Bairstow is going to destroy an attack soon enough. It hasn't yet happened. Uh, he made fifty odd last week in 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 the game where I had him for top runs. Uh, and then he was overtaken. Of course, Joe Root made that 100. Um, I also had KL Raul 11-1, to 1, but uh, they didn't play that game against New Zealand, so that was a washout. Uh, I do like yeah. that idea, though, and I did get in there early before it was confirmed that he was going to open the batting. Obviously, his odds will be slashed from here on in. Now he has got 50 as an opener. Uh, and a silly double, Pakistan and West Indies to beat Australia and England. We'll just gloss over that one. Okay, moving on. Um, this week, then, what have you got for us? Right, OK, so uh, in the England-Afghanistan game, I've gone for Liam Plunkett at 4-1 on the sportsbook. OK. England's leading wicket-taker. Now, I think Afghanistan have actually started their innings reasonably well, quite defensively, mm-hmm. and then it's all gone to pot in, in the middle overs. So I'm expecting them to maybe lose one or two, but basically to try and block out Archer and Wokes, then not be able to resist playing those, their shots to some Liam Plunkett short balls and, and getting caught on the boundary. That's that's my logic anyway. All right, I like that. I like that. Um, next bet? Um, I've got uh, South Africa to beat New Zealand at Edgebaston mm. at 2.22 on the exchange. Now, I, I think that game, to me, seems about evens, really. I think New Zealand have been overestimated so far in this tournament off the back of winning some games that you'd expect them to win. Mm-hmm. South Africa have obviously been poor but have finally got off the mark. And New Zealand haven't played for ages as well with that game off game rained off against India I'm expecting them to be a little bit rusty so yep. the odds I thought overwhelmed favoured New Zealand too strongly so I've gone to South Africa on that basis ok and finally uh, and finally I've got Aaron Finch to be the top match batsman uh, Australia v Bangladesh at 5-1 to one on Sportsbook which I thought was quite generous given given the form he's in uh, yep. if he bats even the way him and Warner are going even if he bats a bit less time than Warner he will probably outscore him mm-hmm. um, and I think they'll take Bangladesh's new ball attack to, to pieces really so that's so Finch at 5-1 to one, top match batsman that is very tasty indeed and Finch is a classic streaky player as well isn't he when he's hot he's, he's, he's electric he's All right. great great touch isn't he yeah. do you want to know mine Joe I do do, do tell me Phil uh, ok bit of a left field one here right? I've gone for Colin Munro to be player of the match against South Africa at 14-1 to one on Sportsbook right. right now he opens the batting um, his odds to be top run scorer in, the, in New Zealand's innings is about four to one, but to be player of the match, he's fourteen to one. Uh, so I just have an inkling that it's a nice way to sort of boost up 
the odds on a batsman who is opening the batting. He's destructive on his day. He doesn't have much of, a, of an ODI record for New Zealand, but he's done okay so far in this tournament. An unbeaten 50 in the first game. Uh, a sharpish 20-odd, 25, I think it was, against Bangladesh. And he will be opening the batting. At some point, I, fa- I fancy that he's going to go. If you can see well, off Rabada up top, then, then he yeah. might make, make a... Make a dent in an innings and and fourteen to one player of the month, uh, player of the month, player of the match. Anyway, well, that's, inter- it's, that's interesting. Gone for him as well because I spoke when I spoke to Paul Ford, our, our Kiwi correspondent, earlier in the, the tournament. Yeah, uh, he doesn't reckon Munro is going to see out this tournament. He thinks Henry Nichols, who was injured at the start, will come in, and he predicted that he'd come in for that India game, which obviously we don't we don't know how that went. Then everyone got to the toss. Brilliant. So it'll be interesting to see if your bet is covered. Well, no, it was a theory rather than a, he thinks it will happen. Just okay. that he thinks Henry Nichols is a better batsman against better bowlers. Um, but but we'll see, just to throw that one in the mix there. Okay, all right. Well, that one might be null and void. Um, <laughs> uh, Kusal Mendes played nicely against Australia uh, on Saturday for 30-odd after a very slow start. He's a player I rate. Uh, he also stuck Mitchell Stark over his head for six, uh, 90 mile an hour, literally 90 mile an hour. Uh, into the sight screen. So I fancy that Mendis might be coming into some kind of form. Um, they need somebody in that middle order to do something. And I fancy that Mendis, uh, who isn't, there's not actually a market up yet uh, on the exchange, but I imagine you'll be able to get him at five or sixes to one uh, for when they play England later on in the week. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a little look at Mendis for later on in the week. Um, and finally, uh, Sumya Saka, who is nine to two on Sportsbook to be top runs against Australia uh, later on this week. Uh, he's a fine player who's not quite clicked yet in this tournament, despite looking in form whenever he's walked out there. He plays the quicks pretty well. You saw that Pereira and Karuna Ratna were able to see off Stark and Cummins by playing circumspectly last week. It's not impossible to play against this new ball, this Australian new ball side. So I, I fancy Saka, who I think is quite good odds at 9-2, to two, uh, considering he opens the batting. So I've gone uh, a couple of pennies on him too. You've been quite keen to see more of him. This feels like a bet where you're kind of hoping it will come true because you want to see him bat a bit more. So yeah, is that in, fair, in, do you think? entirely that. Yeah, it's, it's what I base all my judgments <laughs> on. And Kushan Mendes really. as well, actually, now, now I come to mention it. <laughs> yeah, no, indeed. Indeed. All right, well, you know, best of order for you. Uh, and uh, we shall resume this Titanic battle next week. <laughs> All right, Joe, enjoy Afghanistan, England, and we'll have a chat tomorrow evening. Cheers, Phil. Nice one. Right then, folks, this World Cup keeps rolling on. Uh, John Hotton, what are you looking forward to over the next few days? Uh, again, at risk of playing to the Australian audience, Australia, Bangladesh, a couple of days' time. On Thursday, Trent Thursday, Bridge. Thursday, Trent Bridge. I think it's on a used pitch. Bangladesh are going to be absolutely flying after this win today, and I think that's going to be a hell of a game. Yep, I think it's a very good shout. Um, Robin, what are you looking forward to next? Oh, I reckon a bit of decent weather here in London would be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be nice. <laughs> That'd be a result. <laughs> what I'm looking forward to, uh, obviously, uh, spending uh, a little bit of time watching the cricket affair if if I you know if I get the opportunity. Um, but uh, we've only got three or four days left uh, left in England. We've uh, we, we I seem to have a, a very busy life in uh, in sure. Perth, and uh, so does my. My, I shouldn't say my partner, my new uh, fiance. So I'm actually looking forward to spending a couple of days chilling out with her in London. Away from the cricket. Away from the cricket. That does sound nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, New Zealand, South Africa on Wednesday. I think if there's going to be a switch in this tournament, I still think South Africa may may kind of galvanise themselves over the next week or two. New Zealand have had a quite a soft landing in the tournament. Seven from four at the minute, New Zealand. I think if South Africa were to turn them over... 
and this is Edgbaston on Wednesday, then I don't think you can fully discount South Africa from the final four. All the fun of the fair to come. Uh, thanks ever so much for joining us, uh, folks. And Robin, what a joy. Thank you. Oh, and John awesome. as well, of course. Thank you, gentlemen. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. This <laughs> and, and thanks for not falling asleep. I was really kind <laughs> of you. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Extra podcast in partnership with Betfair Exchange. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, but before you go, uh, you can always listen to the Wisdom Cricket Daily podcast. You can never have enough podcasts, which just keeps on rolling. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and please gamble responsibly. Network. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.